Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see you on this Lord's Day. I'm really glad you're here. I want to say thanks for worshiping the Lord through song. And now let's worship through the word, shall we? If you haven't done so already, I want to invite you to take your listening outline from your worship guide, get a pen in hand, and open your Bibles, if you would, in the New Testament to the Gospel of Luke. You know, the New Testament begins with four stories of the life of Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And today, we're going to continue our look through the Gospel of Luke. And while we're preparing to hear the word here in the worship center, I want to say a warm, warm welcome to everyone in our contemporary service today. I'm really glad you're here this morning, as well as those of you who are joining us online on TV. I'm really glad that you're here this morning as well. And I just want to say uh, a warm welcome to those of you who may be guests, those of you who are making your way back to the assembly, to the actual on-campus worship right now, week by week. I'm really glad you're here today. And I want to say to our guests, before we dive into the message, that at the end of the service, I'm going to be down front here. And if I haven't had a chance to shake your hand, say hello, meet you personally, I hope you'll make your way down and say hello. Now, you'll see on your outline today the title of today's message. It's simply called Seven Lessons from the Life of Jesus. It's the second message in a four-part series that we began last week. It'll take us through the Gospel of Luke, and it'll take us all the way up to Easter Sunday. And so I hope you're planning to be here next week on Palm Sunday and then on Easter weekend as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why are we in the Gospel of Luke? Why is that our focus of study? It's because it's where our chapter a day readings have been. I know many of you are already a part of that journey. But if you're not, I encourage you to pull out your phone, text the word chapter to 22828. You'll be able to join in with hundreds of us as we're reading God's word a chapter a day and applying those truths to our lives. So I hope you'll join in that journey. Now, let's take just a moment and remember what we learned last week when we looked at Luke 1 and 2. We looked at the story of the birth of Christ last week and near the end we said what we were really learning is the doctrine of the incarnation. It has to do with the person of Jesus, what his identity is. And I've actually bulleted out the four or five big things that we learned and that we took away about Jesus last week. Let's look at them quickly. We learned that Jesus first is uniquely the son of God. Nobody else like him before, nobody else like him since. Number two, we learned that Jesus is the promised Davidic Messiah King. He fulfills all the promises of the Messiah who would come. We learned that Jesus was miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit. It was a miraculous birth. We learned, number four, that Jesus was born of a virgin. And then finally, number five, we learned that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And all the rest of the gospel story makes sense. All the rest about his crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, and second coming, all of that makes sense only if we affirm that Jesus is who the Bible reveals that he is, that is, God in the flesh. 
The entirety of last week's message can be summarized in one verse, I think, and that's John 1.14. I put it on your outline again this week. It'll be on the screen. I want us all to read it together. It begins, and the Word became flesh. Are you ready? Everybody here in the worship center, everybody in the contemporary service, let's all read aloud together God's Word, John 1.14. Here we go. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the eternal word, the creating word, the life-giving, light-bringing word, the word who was with God and the word was God became flesh and dwelt among us. Now today, we want to build on what we learned about the person of Jesus, and we want to take a look at some of the vignettes, some of the episodes in his life that reveal him living in perfect obedience to the Father. One of the reasons Jesus came was to be our example. And in so many ways, he gives us a model a pattern, a paradigm, an example of how we should live. Next week, we'll move on to talk about the crucifixion. And then, of course, on Easter Sunday, we'll look at the resurrection. Now, there's no way to tell the entirety of the story of the life of Jesus in one short message. But we're going to cover a handful or more of the key lessons that come out of Luke uh, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. So, let's look at it together. Here's the first one. And this first principle we see is at the end of Luke 2. And it's really a principle that's especially applicable to parents and to children. So here's the principle, write it in, and then we're going to look at the scripture. Here it is. The principle is that as a child, Jesus was submissive. Do you know that word? Submissive. Jesus was submissive to his parents And when we are children, we should be submissive to our parents too. Now, where's the principle? Let me see if I can show it to you. It's at the end of Luke 2, beginning in verse 41. It's really the only insight we get into Jesus' childhood. This is what it says. It says, now his parents, that would be Mary and Joseph, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. It was their annual tradition to make the journey from Galilee to Jerusalem, go to the big Passover festival. It was a highlight of the year. Now, you all know what happens after the festival was over. Mary and Joseph and all their kinfolk get ready to head back home. And they make a day's journey. And they really hadn't seen Jesus. They didn't require him to stay right next to them. I mean, after all, he was 12 years old. And they looked around at the end of that first day's journey and he wasn't with the group. And they thought, oh no, we've left him in Jerusalem. Have you all ever mistakenly left your child somewhere, even for a little while? Well, I'm glad you're not admitting it anyway in in church. Well, they thought, man, we got to go back and get him. So they hustle back to Jerusalem. They look around. After three days, they find him. He's in the temple 
And he's having conversation with the teachers of the law. And they said, son, why have you treated us this way? And then Jesus said, did you not know that I needed to be about my father's business? It shows that even as a 12-year-old, he had a sense of the unique relationship he had with the father. And then notice in verse 50, it says, and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. I mean, would you, of you would say that it has ever been true that you've not understood your 12-year-old either. I think that's a common experience. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, the scripture says. And then here it is, as a 12-year-old young man, the Bible says, and Jesus was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. Now, what does it mean to be submissive? Um, in the Greek New Testament, that's a compound word. It's the word hupertasso. Huper means under. Tasso means to arrange. It really has a military um, uh, um, usage, and, and it means that you line yourself up, you arrange yourself under the authority of another person whose direction you will follow. So now I know in this room, in the contemporary service, there are young men, young ladies who are in middle school, high school, young adulthood, but you are still dependent on your parents. You say, well, what does that mean? I mean, you still live in their house, sleep in their bed, eat their food. You get in the picture? Uh, you still drive their car on their insurance and they pay your cell phone and your Netflix account. I mean, that, you, you are dependent on them, right? And the scripture says, if that's you, if you're a boy or girl today, that your job, it pleases the Lord for you to line yourself up under the authority of your parents and obey them because obedience to your parents brings honor and glory to God. Can you say amen to that? It's just the truth. And so there's a lesson here for every boy and girl. Now, somebody's going to say to me, well, is, it, is the authority of parents absolute? Well, of course not. And can there be an abuse of parental authority? And the answer is yes. And it's tragic and it ought to be corrected, of course. But the principle in Jesus' life we need to see. And that is as a 12-year-old boy, young man, he was submissive to his parents. And guys and girls, you need to be submissive to your mom and dad as well. There's also a message here for parents. And that is, parents, you need to do what Mary and Joseph did. And that is teach your children to be submissive, to respect your authority, to obey it, to yield to it. Now, I recognize that is harder for some than for others. How many of you have ever raised a strong-willed child? Anybody here ever raised a strong-willed child? Okay, I see your gray hair all around the room. 
How many of you have ever been a strong-willed child? Can I see your hand? Okay, uh, I'm seeing you here as well. You know, sometimes parents, they just get this overinflated sense of how good a parent they are. The Lord sends them a compliant child as child number one. And that, that child just grows up being the most compliant child and they think we are the most wonderful parents in the world until God sends them number two or number three. And those children come to the world smoking cigars and thinking they own the place. <laughs> there are actually studies that show that before children can even speak, they are able to read the adults in the room and manipulate them for their own purposes. There are studies that show that to be true. And if you are one or have been one of a strong-willed child, I know it is easier for some, harder for others. But parents, can I just say to you this first principle? Don't miss today. Now, you ought to shower your children with love and affection and acceptance and encouragement and blessing they ought to know that they are secure in you more than anyone else and you love them as much as life itself. But you ought to marry with that love the kind of discipline that requires submission to your authority. Now, when they're 12 months, 18 months, 24 months old, it may seem cute. Everybody may laugh when they sort of disregard you and disobey you. But with every year, year that passes, the cuteness goes away. And by the time they're teenagers, the cake is often baked. The teachers they have, the coaches they have. Oh, they'll be oh so grateful if you've taught your child to submit to authority. Your children will then be prepared to function in society with appropriate submission to authority and eventually to submit to God's authority himself. I'll never forget a conversation I had with a young man a few years ago and I was talking with him just very candidly. We were friends. I was talking with him about his relationship with Christ. And I said, you know, it, he, he was about 20-something. I said, you know, it, it comes to the point of the question, are you willing to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ in your life? And I'll never forget what he said to me. He looked me dead in the eye. And he said... I've never submitted to the authority of anyone in my life. So what about you? Have you submitted to the authority of Christ? Parents, are you teaching it? Children, are you practicing it? Well, that's the first principle. Here's the second one, write it in. We see this in chapter three then of Luke. Now we've moved from when Jesus was 12 years old to when he was 30 years old. As a 30-year-old, Jesus was baptized. 
baptized, and when we believe, we should be baptized too. Now, John the Baptist was the one doing the baptizing, and the scripture says in Luke 3, 21, now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So now, watch this. Jesus is modeling here what he expects of us when we become his disciple. You remember in the Great Commission, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, baptizing whom? Baptizing those who become my disciples in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. And Jesus here is modeling that as a 30-year-old. It's just a reminder that baptism is not something that your parents do for you. It's not something that occurs for you when you are an infant. Baptism occurs when you have heard the gospel turn from your sin and repentance, put your trust in Christ, and then as a way of saying openly, I have repented, believed, and I'm trusting Jesus, then you're baptized in his name. It's an expression of personal faith and trust in Christ. And there's no prescribed age. Uh, The Bible doesn't ever say you ought to be baptized when you're 12 or 14 or 15 or 30 or 50 or 80. I'm so thankful that if you're regular at Ingleside, you know that almost every week there are boys and girls, men and women, giving testimony to faith in Christ and being baptized in obedience to his name. Every now and then somebody says to me, "Why, why do we make such a big deal about baptism? It's because Jesus did. He was baptized and he commanded us to. So now let me ask you, well, first, in the New Testament, there's a triad. Let me show you. The triad is repentance, faith, and baptism. That's the summary of the proper response to Christ. Whenever we hear the gospel, we turn from our sin and repentance, we trust him and receive him as Lord, and then we're baptized in obedience to his name. Now, sometimes in the New Testament, it uses a shorthand. Sometimes it only mentions belief. Sometimes it only mentions repentance. Sometimes it only mentions baptism. But they all three go together. And so I wanna ask you, have you repented? Have you believed? And have you been baptized in Jesus' name? You know, every now and then, I've bumped into someone who says, well, I just believe that baptism is a, is a church thing, it's a human thing, it's not a Jesus thing. And I say, well, you got your Bible with you. Let's just look. Every now and then, I'd say, tell me, tell me why you have not been baptized. And one time a, a, a person said to me, they said, you know, I just don't want to get my hair wet in front of all those people. And I get that, but I really don't. Because what you're saying is you're trusting for your eternal salvation, one whose hair was wet from his own blood. 
as the crown of thorns was pressed into his head. And you don't want to get your hair wet? Listen, when you by faith trust in Christ, you ought to be ready and eager to say, I'll get my hair wet. You put me under more than once. I will do anything to say, I love Jesus and I follow him. Listen, don't you see? It's a way of saying, I love him, I follow him. I'm all in with Jesus. I want to encourage you to take that step. Be baptized soon in Jesus' name. Look at the third principle. It comes to us in Luke 4. The fourth principle is Jesus resisted temptation. Jesus resisted temptation, and we can too. So right after he was baptized, look at what the scripture says. This is in Luke 4. It says, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. That's the Jordan River where he'd been baptized and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. The Bible says the end of that 40 days, he was hungry. It reveals his full humanity. And Satan said, you know, if you'll just turn these stones to bread, uh, you could do that if you're really the son of God. And notice in verse 4 what Jesus said. It says, and Jesus answered him and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. In other words, even though Jesus was physically hungry, he wasn't willing to let his physical appetites cause him to do what would displease the Lord. He said, there's something more important than my physical appetite. It's what God is feeding me through his word and his presence. When that didn't work, Satan took him up, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, you can have all this if you'll bow down and worship me. Look at verse 8, and Jesus answered, it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Twice Jesus had quoted the scripture and so Satan then quotes the scripture inappropriately from Psalm 91 says, throw yourself down off the pinnacle of the temple. God will save you. And notice Jesus' answer in verse 12. And Jesus answered him and said, it is said you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Now, beloved, what this teaches us is that there really is a spiritual enemy. Jesus said in John 10, 10, that that enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And the way he does that is to appeal to our appetite, our desire for power and control, our sense of the sensational, he, he appeals to something within us so that we will take the bait. But underneath the bait is a hook. And when that hook is set, destruction will soon follow. And so are you tuned into that these days? 
that the enemy is dangling in front of you, something that seems appealing, that might fulfill an appetite, that might bring pleasure in the short term. And yet if you bite, oh, pain and suffering will follow. I just want to say that God has given us every tool we need in Christ to recognize temptation, to resist temptation, and to have victory over temptation. And it's a lie that Satan tells us to say, oh, you can't resist, you've got to succumb. Now, I'm so grateful today that when we do give in to temptation, when we do sin, that God's grace is greater than all our sin. I'm so thankful today that when we stand before God one day, it will not be in our own righteousness because every one of us will have to say, oh, I regret the day that I yielded to that temptation and all the destruction that followed in its wake, but I am here, oh Lord, not based on my own righteousness. I'm here based on the righteousness of your son and he never gave into temptation. And because I trust him, his righteousness is counted to me. Oh, listen, I hope you're hearing the warning today and I hope you're hearing the grace. Well, listen, let me just give you the other principles quickly. We don't have time to go through them, but as we're reading on through the gospel of Luke, And I hope you are going to see how Jesus is our example again and again. Let me give them to you quickly. Got your pen ready? Here they are. Number four, Jesus valued the scriptures and the assembly of God's people, and we should too. You see that in Luke chapter four, when he went to the synagogue in Nazareth. And I just want to say, aren't you glad that we are getting to come back to church in greater numbers together? Aren't you glad of that? Oh man, I can't tell you how glad I am of that. And for those of you on the live stream or TV, if you're in driving distance, you ought to be here too. Here's principle number five. Principle number five is Jesus was a gospel communicator and we should be too. When you look at all the ways he communicated the gospel, it wasn't always the same way. Sometimes it involved teaching, authoritative instruction. Sometimes it involved preaching, heralding, announcing, proclaiming. Sometimes it involved evangelizing. Sometimes it involved storytelling. But he communicated the gospel. We should too. Number six, Jesus was a disciple maker. And we should be too. When he calls us, he intends for us to be a part of the mission. And number seven, Jesus was a healer. He was a healer. He cared about the physical, emotional, relational, and spiritual well-being of people, and we should too. When you get to the end of Luke 6, he asks a question that I want to finish with today. 
And that is, he asks, what kind of foundation are you building your life on? Notice it, Luke 6, 46 and following. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do the things I teach is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. So what are you building your life on today? Are you building your life on the rock that is Christ? Is your life well built? Listen, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer in a moment and when I do, this may be the moment for you to turn from your sin, put your trust in Christ, begin to follow him, obey him in baptism, begin to follow his example, live for his glory. Oh, that's the kind of life that God intends for us to live, a life well built on the rock of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for teaching us from your word today. I want to thank you for your goodness and for your grace, for your forgiveness, for your love. I thank you that you have given us authoritative instruction to show us how to live in a way that pleases you. And so, Lord, I pray for boys and girls, young men, young ladies today who just need to renew a commitment to obeying their parents as a way of honoring you. Give them grace to do that. Lord, I want to pray for moms and dads who've grown a little weary in it. I want to pray you'll give them new energy and new strength to love and encourage and discipline their children so that they will honor their authority and yours. Lord, I pray for some who need to be baptized in your name. I pray for some who are battling temptation today, for some who failed and need to be forgiven and restored. Lord, I pray for us all that we'd build our lives on the rock of Christ. And this is the prayer we offer today in Jesus' name, amen.